Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, and with me, as always, is Chris. And Chris, we, we record in the offseason every other week, and that is usually more than enough time to get to all of the Mets news in the offseason. However, in the last two weeks, the Mets have done so many things that seem um, unlikely for the Mets, let's say, uh, to downright impossible for the old Mets to have done, that I feel like it's been a hundred years since you and I have spoken about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is not your average Mets offseason. Well, maybe it is now, but not <laughs> the one that we've gotten used to over our entire 30, lives. Exactly. Well over 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Uh, just yeah. unreal how much has transpired. All of it good. Yes, all of it good. Uh, you know, I think that there are some there are some things that we can discuss that maybe will be less 
heralded than others, but I think overall it's pretty hard to complain about this Mets offseason unless you're a loser baby like David Axelrod, but we'll get to that later maybe. Um, (laughs) So as soon as we finished recording last time, the Rule 5 draft happened. The Mets selected Zach Green, who seems like an, uh, our own Lucas Vlahos called him an intriguing arm for the bullpen. And at the time, it seemed like the Mets' idea for the bullpen was just to collect as many um, sort of fringy bullpen arms as possible and see what happens from there. And that still might be part of the calculus, but I felt like when this happened okay, this Zach Green guy will be on the Major League roster for the entire year. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. (laughs) Um, Just because the bullpen has changed considerably since we last recorded. But that was the first move. Do you have any hot Zach Green takes? Hot Zach Green takes? Not necessarily. It's the type of arm that you'd like to see a team take in the Rule 5 draft if it turns out that they build out a bullpen and he doesn't make the opening day roster. Uh... I think we've seen that Steve Cohen can afford the return fee yeah. that would go to the Yankees. Yeah. Um, if it came to that, you know, it's, it's, yeah, this is the type of move that would have been one of the, I don't know, top four moves in the previous ownership era during yes. an entire off season. Uh, Brad Emas was a player that we actually had to think about significantly for that exact reason. Chin Lung who? And, uh, yeah, the, things have changed. This yep. is this is the kind of guy that I if he makes the opening day bullpen, great. Sounds like he's got a pretty live arm. Uh, I would say, and and I mean this as a compliment to to Lucas. If there's some optimism there about a fringe guy from Lucas, that's always intriguing because I think he is maybe the fairest critic of the Mets' moves that we have, which is why he writes all the grading pieces exactly about those moves. And yeah. Yeah, so great if he's the sixth, seventh, eighth guy in that bullpen, and it turns out that he's got something and he's even pretty good. That's a great player to get. Obviously, it doesn't matter if a player comes to the Mets for free, but if it if they do, uh, it's nice, n- nice way to get a guy. Absolutely. Not having to give anybody up. And again, this is Steve Cohen's money, not ours. So it's, I'm not so concerned about salary, but. It it is still, if you can make a shrewd pickup, it doesn't hurt the team. Yeah, you're going to hear us say it's Steve Cohen's money, not ours, quite a bit over the next, uh, you know, 40 minutes or so, as well as for the rest of our time podcasting, probably. So so right after that, uh, at the, I guess, the morning after or middle of the night after the winter meetings closed up, the Mets agreed to an eight-year deal with Brandon Nimmo. This is the move that I think a lot of us felt the Mets needed to make almost more than anything else because there's not a lot of center fielders out there right now. And excuse me, I'm yawning. I was up late wrapping Christmas gifts. Um, you know, Nimmo has become such an important part of the Mets. He's an important part of the top part of their lineup. This seemed like an absolute must move. It's a $162 million a year, uh, million dollar contract, as I said, for eight years. I think we are both pretty in favor of bringing bringing Brandon Nimmo back. Was there any surprise for you about this, or did you expect this to be the move? Uh, Maybe a little bit. I think I was more optimistic about DeGrom returning than Nimmo, if only because of the 
tidbits that were coming out. And uh, look, when people say things before news is official, you always have to take it with a grain of salt. But when Mets people were speaking, especially publicly and on the record, uh, I think Buck Showalter spoke on the topic of Nimmo before he had made a decision on where he was signing. And uh, he didn't sound terribly pessimistic, but he didn't sound like he assumed it was going to happen either. So for whatever reason, I, I just thought that the, maybe the Mets didn't quite value him as much. Um, and that turned out to be wrong. So very happy that he's back out there. Uh, I think Nimmo and Pete Alonso are both guys whose defense at the positions that they are currently playing was questioned and and maybe rightfully so, but they are exceeding those expectations. I think Nimmo more so uh, being able to handle center field as a major leaguer, especially when you've seen him out there at this level at that position, not playing the position particularly well uh, to, to get better while you're already there is, uh, that that's a that's a pretty great thing to be able to do, you know. Um, I may even add Jeff McNeil into that. Yeah, yeah. You know, just a guy who is not supposed to be as good defensively as he wound up being for the Mets. Right. Yeah. No. And, and there was no other solution for center field that was going to match. Just having Nimmo stay there. So, uh, yeah, very happy he's back, and I, I guess a little bit surprised based on how I was feeling before they announced that deal. But now, geez, there's no more surprises. We've got a lot of moves to go to talk about here. (laughs) It's pretty funny to think that we, I think a lot of us felt like, well, they're either going to bring back Nimmo or DeGrom. They're probably not going to bring back both. (laughs) And I sit here just laughing at the naivete of us from three weeks ago. Yeah. When we we get to... The infield portion of the signings. I have a similar thought that I will bring back. Okay. So just after the Nimmo signing was announced, like minutes after, David Robertson and the Mets were announced to uh, have signed a one-year, $10 million contract. Uh, Robertson, apparently acting as his own agent, flew himself to New York for a uh, for a physical and took care of all of this, um, you know, on his own without without an agent, which is kind of crazy. But Robertson is about as surefire as you get out of the bullpen. He has been consistent for over a decade now. He's not my favorite uh, pitcher, in part because apparently he is uh, a shithead when it comes to... He did not want to give certain players and field and staff members World Series shares. Uh, I forget what team he was on that won the World Series. What team? He, he was a Yankee at the time that they won in 2009, But I think he was a rookie right? then or very young. I, I think it was it was later. But he, he, he apparently fought for, for people to not get full World Series shares, and to which I just say, fuck you, David Robertson. But, um, <laughs> you know. He, he might make up for it. Sure, sure. Maybe, maybe this time around there will be more shares and uh, and his opinion will have changed. Yes, yeah, so let, let, let's certainly hope so. But uh, from a strictly on-the-field move, I think it's pretty hard to balk at this. Uh, pardon the pitching pun. Yeah. Hey, this is somebody... Look, any reliever has the possibility of having a fluke bad year, even if they have a good track record. But I don't know. I mean, you, you weren't really going to find 
too much out there that was significantly better than him. Uh, and they needed guys who they, they could put in that uh, setup role for Edwin Diaz. And he's certainly capable of that. So nice to see them actually addressing the bullpen in free agency. Uh, again, you know, we, we mentioned it with, with uh, Green, but if you can get those arms and, and bring them in and kind of find guys who are unexpected and they turn out to be great relievers, that's, that's incredible. But uh, we saw for years under previous ownership and, and maybe some of Sandy Alderson's philosophy too, given the limited budget that he had to work with, uh, the bullpen was usually ignored and most of the moves that were made there backfired. And even when Steve Cohen took over and started to spend, the bullpen was kind of ignored. It, they, it, I don't know. It was I mean, better. we talked about it the last two off seasons. Right. Yeah. It, it was something that was like, Hey, all right, this is team looks pretty good, but uh, the bullpen still doesn't really look all that deep. So just to see them, uh, doing this sort of thing is is very nice um they still could do a little bit more and at this point they absolutely should but yeah robertson and especially for just one year uh, okay <laughs> great there's really no uh there's no way for a one-year deal for a reliever to go terribly wrong right even if it's a disaster it's a one-year deal Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Injury or performance disaster on the mound. Uh, okay. Halfway through the season, DFA. Right. Like that's. I don't think that's how it's going to go with him, but not things that anybody has to lose sleep over. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So after Robertson signed, we had a very quiet three days of Mets free agency <laughs> before they signed Kode Senga to a five-year, $75 million deal. This move was something that uh, a lot of our um, Amazing Avenue staff was very excited about potentially happening, but I think it was all sort of, again, we didn't know if the budget was going to be there to bring in a Verlander and a Senga, and they wound up doing that and Quintana, which we talked about last time. So I, I will admit I am not the person to talk to about uh, Japanese baseball. I have watched a little bit of it, but I have no real thoughts on it because I just haven't watched enough. I am coming from a place of ignorance. However, everything I've seen, the, the highlights I've seen from Senga are very impressive. And like we were saying before about Lucas being a very fair, great, a very fair critic, I think that the folks on our staff who have, who have watched a lot of Japanese baseball are pretty good in their assessment of of those players and everybody seems to think that Senga is a quality player who was going to be an improvement over Chris Bassett who he is ostensibly replacing in the rotation um do you have any any strong Senga feelings I uh, I think my initial reaction was just wow that that's that's all it took right yeah yeah and there wasn't a posting fee either right I no I believe not I think he was just completely free to signed without any uh, attachment to a team so uh, still life-changing money obviously oh, of course so good for him uh, and and there are some details in there with potential opt-out after the third year and 
uh, some bonuses and, and whatnot. But yeah, this this seems like if they had decided on Bassett instead of Sanga, I would have been fine with that. I, I think there's some appeal in both of those pitchers. Uh, but it's just nice. We did talk about it a little bit uh, last time we did this show that the Mets have not been in on the top tier of Japanese players uh, historically, even before they ran into the Madoff buzzsaw and, and then the Wilpon, uh, whatever you want to call it, the 12 years that followed that. But yeah, uh, really curious to see what happens. Uh, and, and I think it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do to make that bet that you think you can be better than Bassett. And uh, look, if you buy into Jose Quintana's improvements uh, from last year, Senga doesn't even necessarily have to be your third starter. Uh, I think, I think he very well could be, but yeah, it's going to be fun to get to watch this happen for the Mets instead of for another team and then wish that the Mets would be in on that pitcher uh, or, or player when he becomes available several years down the road, you know? Yeah. So I, I have not watched any of his pitching performances from Japan and would not offer up any expert opinion on it. Even if I had just because I haven't seen enough to properly contextualize it, but, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, but I'm glad that we know people who, who do have a better grasp of that. And, uh, and again, their excitement makes me excited to, to watch him pitch as a Met. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So after that, there was a long dry spell of four days before the Mets signed their next free agent, which was catcher Omar Narvaez. And this is probably the strangest move of the off season thus far because at this point, the Mets had three other catchers on their not just 40-man roster, but their active roster as projected for the start of the season in James McCann, Tomas Nito, and Francisco Alvarez. Now, Narvarez is uh, he bats lefty, which separates him from that bunch. He has had some very good offensive years, but has not been a great one. Uh I've not been great with the bat as of late. Um, I understand, you know, we're going to talk about the Mets trading James McCann in a minute. Uh, So now there's only three catchers, but I don't know. It's still a little bit strange because the Mets ostensibly want Alvarez to be their everyday catcher of the future. And yet they're bringing in a guy on a one-year deal with a player option for the next year who probably projects to be a starter at least for this season and maybe for next and you have a perfectly cromulent backup in Tomas Nito so I don't know if this is the Mets fearing that Alvarez may be hurt because I know he has had ankle surgery maybe his ankle was more borked than they gave credit for originally um, maybe it they want to start him give him another half year in AAA to really get him hot before bringing him up I don't know. What what do you think the Mets' thought process is in signing Narvaez? Yeah, it's certainly the oddest of the signings that would seem to indicate that they at least don't think Alvarez is going to be their guy behind the plate to start the year. Um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, uh, trading the McCann away w- was sort of an obvious thing. I just said obvious twice. That's how obvious it was. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it's an interesting mix because Tomas Nito, as much as he's not super exciting to watch, uh, certainly at the plate as a hitter, um, he's a serviceable major league catcher at this point, you know? And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like they're going to have somewhat of an awkward fit. And, and look, injuries happen. It's entirely possible that one of the two catchers has even a minor thing come up in spring training or early in the season. And that would give Alvarez reps as a major league catcher. Um, I'm sure they are going to have Alvarez catching major league pitchers in in spring training because they'd be kind of crazy not to. Right. But yeah, uh, it, it, it's a good problem to have, I guess that <laughs> you can look at this and say, Hey, they have the top catching prospect in all of baseball. One of the best hitting prospects in all of baseball. And, uh, well, there might not be room for him in the opening day lineup. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that there is a, there's a better than, than average, or I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. I think he starts the season in AAA. And I think part of that is because there is going, because of the way he was brought up last year, right? He was brought up at the end of the season in a playoff push in the most important series of the year and looked like a rookie debuting in the major leagues. He did not look terrible, but he did not light the world on fire. And I think that the Mets were probably foolish in bringing him up at that time. They should have brought him up either earlier in September or not at all last year if that was the way they were going to play it. And so maybe they feel like his confidence was a little shaken by that. And so they want to really build him back up and get his confidence going before bringing him back up. Maybe they feel his catching isn't ready yet. You know, I don't know. I just, I get the impression that that he is, like you said, definitely starting the year in AAA, and maybe you make Nito available for a trade or Narvaez available for a trade when that happens. Knowing just how teams always need catchers, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. I had said on our uh, emergency podcast uh, about this signing that in like one of my fantasy baseball moves that I do is that I will always grab a third catcher just because someone's going to need it down the down the way. Right. And so maybe this is just them thinking about it kind of like fantasy baseball, just knowing you bring in the third catcher, someone's going to trade you a useful piece that you're going to need midway through the season if you do that. Um, it still seems a little bit strange to me. Yeah. But. Yeah. And look, you can make an argument that they should use Alvarez as a trade chip if you fully buy into the Nar- Narvaez Nito platoon being serviceable. But, uh, uh I don't know. There's just something about that caliber of a hitter at catcher that uh, that I hope that that's not in their plans. I hope it is just sort of a way to get him a little more gradually worked in at the major mm-hmm. league level. And 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 look, Narvaez is renowned for his framing, and he does have a pretty good track re- record as a hitter. Although the three years that preceded the most recent three were much better. Um, and that that's a lot of what that track record is built upon for him as a hitter. But uh, Alvarez, uh, if they were to find some 
major target and, and include him in a trade, um, I could be okay with that. But there's just something about how special he could be that is very tantalizing to to want to see that happen as a Met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think, and the, we'll get to the overall lineup in a, in a minute, but the power output of the lineup is pretty good in a lot of places, but Pete Alonso is the, still the only one that's like a major home run hitter. Right. So just the thought of having Alvarez and Alonso maybe both be that in the same lineup would be uh, would be pretty exciting. And again, on, on the defensive side, I will not claim to be a professional scout, but I have seen Alvarez catch baseball games in person, and I think it's um, I think he's a passable defender behind the plate. You know, at at the major league level, I think he would absolutely be able to play and not embarrass himself at all. And it's important to remember he's only 21. Right. He could get better. He will you know, get we, better, probably. Right. We talk about Alonzo and, and uh, Nimmo and McNeil doing it. Uh, there's no reason that with major league quality coaching and teammates and all that, that Alvarez can't continue to grow as a defender. Yeah. It'd be a different story if you were talking about a 30-year-old who had you know, all this mileage and uh, – yeah. 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 That's that's an excellent excellent point. Um, okay. So after Narvaez was signed, we had yet another drought of uh, five days before the Mets re-signed Adam Montevino to a two-year deal. There's an opt-out after the first year, as is sort of standard for a lot of these deals that you're seeing nowadays. Um, Adovino's frisbee slider was very impressive last year. I think this move makes a ton of sense. You have lengthened the bullpen by adding in people like Brooks Raley and uh, David Robertson. But I still think Adovino is probably your 7th or 8th inning guy, and I have absolutely no problem with that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, he, he had a great year. Uh, if what he did with the Mets this year in reducing his walk rate, if that's something that he figured out and uh, and can repeat... When you look at his career, when he's kept walks in check, he's always been really, really good. So that to me was the most encouraging thing. It wasn't just, oh, he put up a great ERA and struck out a bunch of guys, which are both good accomplishments for a relief pitcher to to, to have under their belts. But uh, that reduction in walks is what I think made him as, as really dominant as he was. So Whatever he was doing, just just keep doing it. Hopefully, Major League Baseball doesn't mess up the actual baseball and and totally bork you know half the Mets bullpen that that's really good right now. Um, yes, but yeah, I, I really like having him and Robertson as two options. That uh, you know whether it's flipping them between the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, uh, and you can throw Diaz into that mix too. The Mets did that this year you know they used him against other teams best hitters in the eighth inning and often very effectively um so to have those three arms and the ability to mix and match and you know leverage and matchups and everything else it, it's a, a big step forward from where they were before like i i wish that trevor may have been healthy this year to be basically what, what you want robertson to be this year but that didn't happen so a different version of that. 
Yes. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Um, so then, just one day after bringing Adovino back, the Mets signed, and drumroll please, Carlos Correa to a 12-year, <laughs> $315 million deal. You all know how this happened. The Giants got cold feet based on something in the medicals. That was an uh, supposedly a seven or eight year old injury that has never been a problem in the majors. The common reading of this is just that the Giants got cold feet, didn't want to go through with this deal for whatever reason, and so the Mets swooped in. Literally, Steve Cohn was having a martini in Hawaii when this deal went down. Um, I, I don't even I don't even have words to talk about this. This seems so crazy to me. Yeah, yeah that that was um, for me. I was not awake in Hawaii having a martini. I, I did open my eyes for a minute and uh, happened to glance at my phone and see a text from a friend from like four thirty in the morning because they're a diehard Mets fan and couldn't sleep because they had seen the news. So. Yeah, that was a hell of a way to wake up and and for everybody to wake up. Even Buck Showalter woke up yes. and went went to the kitchen and his wife was like, hey, I think you guys signed Correa. And he's like, uh, not that I know of. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just what a remarkable turn of events. The, the whole thing is fascinating. The, Correa's family was at a hotel in San Francisco with him. He was dressed mm-hmm. to go to the press conference. Uh all of that context, and then the Giants postponed, and that's when he found out that that I, I mean, not only was it postponed, but that deal was not happening. So everything that's come out since then seems to indicate that the Giants brought up really some bullshit to try to get out of that deal or, yes. or renegotiate it down. Um, and you know, just just reading about that, and then reading about how quickly it went. From, all right, he's back on the market to the Mets just finalizing it before other teams really even had a chance to to react. Yeah, the Twins had been a serious bidder for him, although they wouldn't match anywhere near what the Mets or Giants had offered. But uh, they they were given the opportunity to get back in. They bowed out. Um, and, and yeah, just wild to think that at 2 o'clock our time... <laughs> He was supposed to be officially introduced as a San Francisco giant. And then by the time we woke up at, at six in the morning, seven in the morning, eight in the morning, what, you know, whatever, uh, he was already in agreement with the Mets. That's, uh, 
Uh, yeah. And and all of these moves, Nimmo, Verlander, Sanga, Correa, um, not even counting the ones that have happened in the past about which we've said the same thing. One of them would have been a dream before yes. as a Mets fan. And, and like Lindor doesn't happen. Correa doesn't happen. Scherzer doesn't happen. And uh, Verlander certainly doesn't happen. The, those were beyond dreams. Those were the things that if you wrote them in your AALP, people would mock you for. If you wrote them in actual pieces on our site, half the people in the comments would be responding that, oh, that's not realistic. Why do we even like waste our time thinking about this? Because that's how ridiculous it was before. So, yeah. Yeah, it's nice to have... I mean, I, I mentioned four, but you could probably make an argument that, I don't know, half this Mets roster would never be here if if things hadn't changed on the ownership side. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's the understatement of the year, right? <laughs> like, um, I mean, uh, shit, I don't even know if Diaz gets done no, with the Will right. Bonds. Pro- probably not. I, I, we'd be looking at Drew Smith, closer. Uh, Jose Quintana would be the ace, not the... <laughs> right. And no disrespect to him. I think he's a pretty good pitcher, and I'm, I'm very interested to see what he can do um, for the Mets. But, uh, yeah, he, he would have been... It would have been Quintana's the ace, and McGill and Peterson are your 2-3. <laughs> yep. Man. It's just such a different world. And... You know, I, I have a piece cooking in my head that probably won't get done till the new year because of the holidays and all the whatever are surrounding it. But I feel like I owe George Steinbrenner an apology. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm serious about this. Like, I, I feel like I was looking at Steinbrenner's Yankees, and this is not just because my guy is now doing this, but there was this sense of like, He's buying all the free agents. God damn it. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he wanted his team to win. And baseball would be better if there were 30 owners like Steve Cohen or like uh, George Steinbrenner who actually wanted their teams to win. There is not a single deal the Mets made. Maybe you can count the Correa one as the one. There is not another deal that another team reasonably could not have matched. Not a one. Verlander signed a a two-year deal. Any other team properly motivated could have afforded that deal. Uh, Diaz was the best closer in baseball, hands down. Other teams could have afforded that deal. They're, They're choosing not to, and that is the bigger problem than Cohen spending a lot of money. And the profit sharing now is so much better for the teams than it was when Steinbrenner was doing it in 2003. So there's no excuse for this now. Zero. You know. Yeah. Yeah, no, on the Steinbrenner front, I would say uh, the <laughs> one caveat, not the parts that got him uh, banned. Oh, no, 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 of course not. No, 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 But just the straight up. And, and I think the framing was very different. Uh, I mean, we grew up with the the strike happened uh, the the you know the 1994 world series never happened because of the strike and i think the context the way that was talked about was nowhere near where people seem to be as a as a consensus or at least a consensus among 
uh, a certain corner of baseball fans. But I think it's getting more and more popular to acknowledge that, hey, all these owners have tons of money. And players deserve that more than teams just holding on to it. And, uh, and yeah, there's... Uh, I think it, it is fair that we've all been like anti-salary cap even during the entire Wilpon run, right? Right. <laughs> like we didn't spend those 10 plus years saying, wait, no, 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 all the other teams should have a cap on them because our team can't afford it. We were saying the Mets should be spending money because they're making tons of money. Uh, and that would have been true all along too. Uh, like we have... I think every right to be bitter that they didn't invest more in their roster because when they sold the team, they sold it for two and a half billion dollars. They would have made all that money back and then some. And, and you know, they just, they walked away with more money in their hands or in their pockets, I should say, than, you know, than they really deserved because they ran the team in such a shitty way that uh, the Mets payroll in 2014 was under 90 million to start the year. Yep. It was 80, 84.9, I think, was the number, uh, according to Cox Contracts. So, yeah, I, I, I really don't want people to see Mets fans acting like, oh, we, <laughs> pity us now because we, we don't, we're not in that spot anymore. But I do feel like we earned it. Look, it uh, it shouldn't be said. It shouldn't have to be said that uh, this is a pro labor podcast, and this is always a question of labor. It is not a question of if the owners make a profit or not. It's if the owners make more profit than we can imagine, or more profit than the most creative person on earth can imagine. They are making boatloads of money off of you. Whoever's listening to this, owners are making money off of you. You go to the games, you watch them on TV, you buy the hat. We're all guilty of this shit. The owners can afford to sign good players. It's not the Mets' fault that they are signing good players. It is your team's fault for not signing good players. End of rant. Anyway, it's, yeah. <laughs> it is awesome that Carlos Gray is a Met. It is awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, right. The thought, the callback. Uh, remember when there were some Mets fans who were upset that they extended Lindor because they should sign Correa instead? <laughs> that's that's a funny thing that we get to think about now. Hilarious. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we have two more moves, and then we have, we still have more to talk about. God damn it! Uh, James McCann was traded to the Orioles essentially for a bag of balls. It's fine. Yeah. They're, they're paying $19 million of his $24 million left on his deal. And that's the way it was always going to have to go. It's a shame because McCann seems like a good dude. I wish he worked out for the Mets. He didn't. It was time to move on. Right. Yeah, I forget who, but somebody made a, a little compilation video on Twitter uh, saying that he'd be missed and it was just all grounded to double plays. And <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, he didn't do anything that maybe you hate him as a person or, or did, he didn't seem like he wasn't trying. There's nothing. I hope it works out. I hope he has to bounce back in Baltimore um, and either 
that team is more successful than it looks like it'll be on paper, uh, or he earns himself a trade to uh, a team that's a little bit better than that. But probably not going to happen, but not rooting against him. Yeah. Uh, I do find it funny to see how many different people uh, were tweeting about how much they hated that he adjusted his cup after every pitch when he was batting. Yeah, I didn't notice that. Neither uh, did I. People talking about it like, oh, thank God I don't have to watch that all the time. Like, I I didn't notice it. <laughs> yeah, that one went over my head. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, fare thee well, James McCann. And the last move that we have so far is the Mets signed Danny Mendick to a one-year, $1 million contract. Um, he's going to miss at least part of the season with a torn ACL. He's he's. Uh, I would say that right now Mendick is sort of the uh, – he falls into the Eduardo Escobar, Libby Guillorme category of just like utility guys that can you know hit a little bit and play all over the field. I don't know why there is necessarily a need for a third one of these guys in the roster, unless you're planning on trading Escobar, maybe. Um, but hey, it seems fine, right? He has options too, so you can always send him down, I suppose. Yeah, 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 totally fine. And I mean, I hope they keep Escobar. I can see where they would trade him, but I, I hope they keep him. And uh, if they're going to upgrade one of those bench spots, hopefully it's Darren Ruff, who uh, they find a new home yes. for. But, yes. but yeah, <laughs> it, it, sequentially here, Danny Mendick, uh, this is like, I don't know. It, it's like you've seen a music festival with like all the biggest artists. And then we end with just like the worst after party ever. <laughs> 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 but, um, yeah, it, it, sure. I'd never heard of the guy before, but everything about that is is totally rational, and uh, it's it's a relatively minor signing. So again, can't really backfire. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't really see, I don't see a real downside unless you're thinking about things like, you know, who's going. If you're thinking about the feelings of the players, which is which is lovely to think about. But these guys are professionals. They're paid to play baseball. If their playing time is less than they hoped for, they're still getting paid a million dollars to play baseball. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that, that is sort of the, the, the overarching offseason over the last two weeks, which is crazy. Um, you know, I had written yesterday about finding a fourth outfielder for the Mets. I think they need somebody who is going to be a real backup center fielder and someone with some speed. You know, I just I just have this image of Daniel Vogelback hitting a single in the eighth inning and then needing to pinch run with him, pinch run for him with somebody. And I want a guy who has some actual speed, so I wrote about some options. Uh, according to the commenters, all these guys suck, but they're fourth outfielders. They're not supposed to be, you know, world beaters. And, uh, you know, while the Mets, I guess, could sign a big name for that, this seems like a, a time when maybe it makes sense to be a little bit, I don't want to say frugal, but just to go for a guy who has the skills that you need and not the skills that you don't need. Like, you don't need your fourth outfielder to be a superstar. Right. You know, you don't. Um, you know, you mentioned before maybe there's still some work to be done on the bullpen. Uh, would you like to see them bring in another lefty? Is that your, your primary concern? I, I mean, it would be good... 
I guess, to have another one, especially after years of not having a good one. Um, still wish Jerry Blevins had pitched a little bit more. I respect his decision to retire, but yes, <laughs> could have helped bridge the gap a little bit more. I think. I think. It, but um, yeah, it, it, handedness doesn't matter to me as much. There, it's just I'd love to bump everybody else down even a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, on, on the back end of that. Um, or the bottom end of that ro- part of the roster. So, um, so much has happened that I don't have any names to specifically recommend at this point. But I'm sure if I went back to the bullpen things I wrote, I could find some some arms who would be intriguing, who would be nice additions. And uh, I, look, right now, I think the Mets are a destination team if a player has any desire to, uh, you know, to compete at that level. And I think they all do. That's how they all got there. So, right. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, if you were looking and, and you could uh, join the Mets, uh, and the Dodgers are still in that tier, and I think the Yankees are too. But um, if they're interested, why wouldn't you want to be on this team? Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a pretty still pretty strange that that's the reality we live in now. <laughs> yes. Um... So, yeah, um, I do want to just quickly talk about a piece you wrote yesterday, which is about constructing the Mets lineup, which is a crazy thing to even read in this piece. I was like, this can't be real. This this can't be real. (laughs) I mean, it looks like Daniel Vogelbach or Mark Cannell will be batting eighth for this team. Huh? (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah, the, the staggering thing when you just looked at it, it's not it's 2022 or career whichever numbers you want to look at everybody in the lineup had a good on base percentage Mm -hmm. even narvaez even narvaez who hasn't been quite as good an overall hitter as he was three four five years ago had a pretty good on base percentage in 2022 uh i would not advocate for him hitting leadoff at any point of the season given all the other options but statistically basically every regular in the Mets lineup has a good enough on base percentage that they could hit leadoff. And several of them would be obvious leadoff hitters for a lot of other teams. Um, and that's not even their only skill. <laughs> uh, a lot of them could hit for hit for power too and hit for good average and, and all sorts of good things. But yeah, no, it's just, I know the uh, the norm now is probably that managers don't really make the lineup the way they used to, but let's just say Buck Walter, if he is making the lineup, has no shortage of good options to put in there, um, and and that is a real luxury. It, it should mean like if guys need a day for a little extra rest, it should be easy to do that. There's really I don't know so many options to put together the top of the order um, and yeah whatever they want to do it's fine it's hard to come up with words because it's that good well that's exactly right you know it, it just seems like there is this um, there is this sense that that the Mets can I mean look this is an older team there is no way to sugarcoat that this is an older team but it seems like there is a a truly reasonable plan to give everybody 
a fair amount of rest and to make sure that the team is not suffering when that rest is happening. I mean, just the fact that, you know, this opening day lineup that we constructed, that you constructed rather, does not have Eduardo Escobar in it for most of the time. You know, if, if it's a lefty on the mound, he'll replace Daniel Vogelbach. But the fact that they have Escobar riding the bench for all of this is a, a credit to the depth, you know? And bringing in your Danny Mendix and your, uh, you know, keeping around your Luis Guillermes, it just means that there's not going to be this huge drop-off when someone needs a day off. And, uh, man, I can't wait to watch this team play. I am so mad, by the way, that we decided not to do our ticket plan uh, because now I really want to go to every every single fucking Mets game this, this year. <laughs> hey, it's never too late. I'm sure they'll... I'll still be selling them. I know. I know. But, uh, yeah, just crazy, crazy times. Um, before we get out of here, anything else you want to talk about Mets-wise? No, no. Uh, I think things are pretty good. By the next time we record, I don't expect to have as many major signings. But who knows? Yeah. I, Dream I, big. The, the, the possibilities are, are seemingly endless. Yes. Um, but, yeah, we can – uh, yeah, that, I think that's that's that on the baseball side. We can do some festivist uh, music picks. Right? <laughs> there we go. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so start us off. What is what is your first pick? I mean, you're not your first pick. Your only pick for today. Yeah. Uh, so in looking at uh, end of year lists, that sort of thing, a pretty natural thing that I think that uh, everybody who loves music tends to do at the end of each year. Uh, came across a band Ezra Furman did top five records of 2022 for Brooklyn vegan. And she had picked technically a different record than this, but it was a band I had not heard of before. They're called the bug club. They're from the UK. And, uh, this album is called green dream and F sharp and holy shit. It's catchy. It's just uh, every song on it. I don't know. There's, there's influences of, um, maybe a little bit of Velvet Underground there and, and some of the like the vocal stylings for the, the male singer in the band. Uh, but it's just, it, it's catchy. Like, they rock out. It's it's funny. It, it's just such a crazy balance of various things that you usually don't get all in one band. And, uh, and yeah, it's 14 songs, 30 minutes long. So you're looking at a bunch of relatively short, really catchy music, and I, I challenge anyone to put it on and, and not find at least one song that kind of gets stuck in your head a little bit. And to make it seasonally appropriate, there's a song on it called Christmas Lullaby, and it's a pretty damn good Christmas song. So, uh, yeah, that one came out of nowhere. The, the record came out in October. Uh, I did not know the band existed until about two weeks ago, and I've listened to the record at least four times since then. It's pretty damn good. So... Check it out, Green Dream and F Sharp by the Bug Club. That's I'm excited to check that out myself. Um, so for the second week in a row, I'm going to talk about an instrumental record, um, which is something I don't always do, but I listen to a lot of instrumental music. This one is by an artist that I was not totally familiar with, but I was familiar with some of the other players on it. So there's a really cool record label called uh, Joyful Noise, and one of the things they do is every year they have an artist in residence. 
And so they will, you can pay, I think it's like $5 a month, and they will send out songs, and there's always a, a, like a, a studio album that comes out of it and some live stuff, whatever. And this year, uh, someone named Jonathan Gatt, or Gatt, I don't know exactly how it's pronounced, G-A-T, I think it's Gatt. Uh, Jonathan Gatt is the, um, the artist-in-residence for uh, Joyful Noise Records. And one of the records he put out this year is called American Quartet, and it is a reimagining of Antonin Dvorak, Dvorak, I think I'm probably saying that name wrong, but he, it's a classical string quartet, and it's uh, a very, very famous uh, chamber music string quartet, and Gat basically made a quartet of his own featuring uh, Greg Saunier of Deerhoof and um, Mikey Colton and Kurt uh, Seidner. I don't know who any of those folks are necessarily, but what intrigued me was reading about this. They said that basically the drums took on the cello parts, and then the guitar, the organ and bass took on the viola and second violin parts, and Yat's guitar took on the viol, the first violin part. And I was like, "What the fuck is that even going to sound like? These are like punk jazz musicians playing this classical piece, and it is a stunning, exciting, beautiful." work of music um instantly shot to the top two or three records i've heard this year uh just i i love music that surprises me that doesn't do what you expect it to do and this is absolutely unexpectedly beautiful yeah it is on all your streaming services if you look up jonathan which is like jonathan with a y jonathan gat american quartet you can find it and um this will certainly be i think maybe a little bit too out there for some of our listeners but I encourage you to give it a shot and see if you uh, see if you can uh, if you can find something in this that you enjoy. I love it. I think it's really cool, and uh, I also think just the idea of giving these artists residencies for a year, like Lou Barlow was last year's artist in resident, and you know just gave it gives these creators a little bit of extra income a month to make new songs and do new things, and I think it's a really cool thing Joyful Noise is doing, and I wish more labels were doing that sort of thing. I think it's fun. Yeah, two quick thoughts. Uh, yeah. Jonathan Gat was in a band called Monotonics that I saw twice. Some of the craziest performers I ever saw. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, just it was a three-piece uh, sort of garagey rock type stuff. The records, the, the records never blew me away or anything, but the the songs and the performances live were incredible. Typically, he'd be somewhere like in the rafters or on the ceiling of a venue by the wow. middle of the set. The drummer would deconstruct the whole drum set and like crowd surf out with the drums and then <laughs> set up shop in the middle of the crowd. Shit was just incredible to see live. And then uh, Michael Colton is the bassist for MD Mokhtar. So oh, there you somehow go. I have not heard this record and now I'm really excited for it. So okay, thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, see? So that's why we do these things, right? So even when we're informing each other about new music. But um, but yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening, folks. Um. I hope every podcast we do from now on is as exciting, but I don't. I don't think it's going to be possible. Um, but th- thank you for hanging with us through thick and thin. We always appreciate it. Go to amazingavenue.com where there's lots more about the Mets being written every day, and uh, any breaking news you'll find it there. Um, you can find the podcast wherever you get podcasts: Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Please rate, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. It helps us reach more people. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. And until next time, happy holidays and let's go Mets.